Hello, and welcome back to the Smash Life podcast. This is your host, Liz Smash, and we're recording here from the Elmore Garage Gym. I have our special podcast guest today is Consuela Bennett, who I will introduce here in a moment. Um, First, we have a special uh, last-minute guest who is just passing through, mainly because she lives upstairs, uh, Ms. Caitlin Elmore. Say hello, Kate. Hello. And what grade are you in? Second. And what's your favorite thing to do, like school-related or not, like favorite thing ever? P.E. P.E., like just running around and stuff? Um, Who's your favorite friend of everyone that you live with? Ava. And tell me, who is Ava? My dog. What kind of dog? German Shepherd. All right, Ava the German Shepherd. uh, She wins out, so take that, Chris and Addison and Anna. Boom. All right, um, but enough about Kate. We made a deal. Uh, We'll see if, if Caitlin can stick with it, but you should not hear her voice again for the rest of this episode. We'll see. If anybody knows Caitlin, if you've met her in the garage gym, she's the talker. Um, But aren't we all? Aren't we all? Except that if you've ever met Sway, Consuela Bennett, she's one of the original members of Team Liz Smash. Um, I would say she's maybe the least of the talkers on uh, the team. She's what I would describe probably as a very good listener. Um, But we're going (laughs) to talk with her a little bit today about her strength journey, um, about where she grew up and what she does now for a living. Welcome to the show, Sway. Thank you. Uh, may I call you Sway? Yes. I know that you have a lot of names. You also, um, let's see, you just go by Bennett. Bennett, Consuela, but mostly Bennett and Sway are the, number, the top Got two. Got it. All right. So Sway it is. Um, I will touch briefly on something. You have an old nickname um, that you earned at a powerlifting meet, and we can come back around to it and explain how you earned it. Mm-hmm. But for anyone who's seen us joking about it on Instagram, I've called Consuela Sandbag Sway because she's what we would call a sandbagger in that at her first meet, we just couldn't find a heavy enough weight to slow her down. Uh, however, she's graduated away from that name, and she helped Finally. Coach. <laughs> she's helped <laughs> coach someone at a meet recently. Um, so, uh, Kirsten, Sandbag K, it moved on to you, girl. We, you know you know who you are. Okay. Anyway, uh, so for those who uh, have not met Consuela, she is originally from Mississippi. Yep. And where did you grow up? Where in Mississippi? In a small town called Winona. So very few people have heard of it, but you've probably heard of the capital, Jackson, Mississippi. So about, about less than two hours from Jackson. Okay. And is that... Uh, Mississippi is kind of square shaped, isn't it? Rectangular? What would you say? Yeah, rectangular more. So, so which of like of the four corners? It's like on toward the north side. Centrally located. Central. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Good to know. Good to know. Um, so, it was a rural town. You said small town. Small town, not so rural, but rural areas, mm-hmm. kind of centrally, like the main thorough, thoroughfare for the interstate. Okay. So you drive through it to get to Jackson. You drive through it to get to Memphis. And what uh, now, so we already mentioned uh, or talked about 
earlier. We did a little pre-planning of what we were going to discuss today. <laughs> Something that I found real interesting about you is that you grew up in Mississippi, um, and and which what is now what, one of the lowest one of the lowest as far as education, and still kind of one of the lowest as far as poverty. Yeah. So, um, and yet here you are now. What do you do for a living? A teacher. Yeah. So you became an educator, and you pursued higher education and you ended up leaving Mississippi yeah which how do you feel like if you had to give a guess or an estimate of like the percentage of people you kind of grew up with or grew up around um, what percentage of those people leave Mississippi and and who just lives there their whole life probably about half or maybe less than half a lot of people that I went to high school with I know a handful of them moved but then there's still a large number of them that that stayed and for people that moved, did they go far, or a lot of them? Uh, some of them are here in Georgia, mm -hmm. mostly up north. Okay. Cool, cool. So tell me what it was like for you growing up in a kind of small town in Mississippi uh, and what that journey was like for you to end up getting now to Atlanta, becoming a teacher, but like even just starting in um, kind of a low low level uh, education. Was your school system, did you feel like it wasn't? strong or was it something did you even know as a kid when you're in school that was even an issue that Mississippi faced um my school was pretty good at that particular time I didn't really realize it was an issue you just kind of go to school you don't really think about that aspect of it um as far as it was a good school system Growing up within my family, there was really not a push to go to higher education because I grew up in a religious home, Jehovah's Witnesses. So obviously that wasn't a push if you know anything about the Jehovah's Witness. Um, so at the time, my goal wasn't like higher education, although it kind of was, but I just thought that it was something that I would never be able to accomplish. And now uh, discuss a little more about Jehovah's Witnesses. You say just as far as that faith goes and within the church, um, what is, I guess, life, the kind of life cycle, or what would they have preferred you to do <laughs> if you were going to be the model Jehovah's Witness? Um, what would your life have looked like, or how would it have looked different? Um, I think we were a model family. My father was an elder. Um, I, My sister and I both did a number of hours in the service. You had a uh, regular pioneer, and I forget what the other one was, but the the one before that, you got 45 hours, I think, a, a month in the service. Regular pioneers, you got 90. Um, and so the focus was really on going from door to door, knocking on people's houses, talking about the Bible, leaving literature. So typically, if you were a child that grew up, they wanted you to kind of follow along that path. And typically, if you regular pioneer for 90 hours a month, you're not really going to be working full-time. It's just part-time, just making enough to kind of survive and live within your means, but your main focus is kind of spreading the word. So higher education is not a priority. For most Jehovah's Witnesses, they just prefer you to just, like, learn within the church right. and kind of spread that knowledge, mm -hmm. but higher education, not really a priority? Not really a priority because you see that as kind of like then you're put out there within the world and its influences in which they kind of want to steer you from. Um, but as I got older, I kind of started thinking and realizing that maybe small town life wasn't really what I wanted. And I always kind of was interested or intrigued by things that were beyond Mississippi, so to speak. And I was fortunate enough to kind of meet people 
who saw some things in me and kind of encouraged me and kind of opened some doors along the way. And so when I was 20 or 21, I was like, mm, I think I'm done. Yeah. And I took the test, um, the ACT back then, um, and scored higher enough to get a scholarship. Cool. So you ended up going to school. You went to college where? At what school? I got my undergrad at a HBCU in the Mississippi Delta, uh, Mississippi Valley State in Itabena, Itabena, Mississippi. Okay. Say the, say the town again? Itabena, Mississippi. Man, Itabena. <laughs> I feel like Mississippi uh, has some of the best well, town names. Actually, Mississippi Valley State is where Jerry Rice oh, yeah. also went to school. Um, th so they have sports and mm -hmm. stuff? So he was yeah. a, he, wow. All of your major sports. Awesome. So that's where he, he must have been a crazy standout. Was he crushing it back in the day? Back even in the in college, day, yeah. Before the that NFL? was kind of before my time, although yeah. I did meet him, but yeah. Got it. Yeah, you're right. You're younger than Jerry. <laughs> is. How old is he now? In his 50s, 60s? Probably late 50s. He's been out for yeah. a minute out of the league. Um, so tell me, living in Mississippi, um, when was the first time did did you even leave Mississippi until you know did you ever y'all take many vacations like yeah we we traveled a lot we had family and relatives in Chicago and Missouri and St. Louis so we did travel like I was exposed to like outside of Mississippi so enough I think at an early age to know that I think I wanted more yeah do you recall even how old you were or just where it was like when was the first time that it occurred to you that you might not want to grow up and live your whole life in Mississippi or or maybe realize there's more to to this world than just my little town and my church probably when I became a teenager and just seeing friends that who were older who went to, that I went to high school with who weren't Jehovah's Witnesses but just seeing them kind of go and live their life um, and then watching TV too, just kind of seeing different things and thinking, I think I might want to try to do that. But within this small town, it's not going to happen. So you lived, um, did you live at home until you were, what, 22? Uh, yeah. And then you went to college. Because I went to college, but I commuted. Ah. So I didn't live on campus. Okay. And where, how far of a commute was that to school? About 45 minutes. Okay. So you would drive there, what, daily to go daily, to school? Daily, yeah. Okay. And then how long did that, um, that was your undergrad, so it took you About four years? Four years, okay. yeah. And then did you, you did a graduate degree too? Did you go? I did a graduate degree, but I waited about a year okay. before I, a year or two, and then I decided to go to graduate school. And where did you go for graduate school? Mississippi State University. And that is uh, just so people, they, they're a member of the SEC, but yet they'll like the not as good Bulldogs as the uh, UGA, Whatever, whatever. The University <laughs> of Georgia Bulldogs being. It depends uh, on the year. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. Being where I went to school. Um, to just take a little aside there, Mississippi State, was it last year? When y'all had a big football season, right? And then. Your coach got swept away. Mm -hmm. Is that Florida. right? Florida, yeah. Oh, and now he's the coach of Florida. Got it, got it. Um, so you went to Mississippi State. What was that? Uh, what did you study? I got a master's in sp sports administration was the, was the concentration. Cool. And what was your undergrad in? Mass communications, journalism, and public relations. So when did you begin uh, – writing i know that before you became an educator you were you were a journalist were you already writing you know were you getting involved or realizing you enjoyed writing like long before you got to college or yeah i had written like a lot of like little essays and short stories and vignettes and i had a friend who happened to be a jehovah's witness at the time an older friend who would um who was a columnist 
for various papers, newspapers in Mississippi, um, Memphis, Tennessee, and around. So she kind of encouraged me to do that, and I would share different stuff with her. And she unknowingly, to me at the time, sent some stuff to an editor at a paper in Memphis, and that person wanted to contact me and basically encouraged me before I actually went to school, telling me that I had some raw talent that I probably needed to pursue. Cool. And how old were you at that time? Probably like 18, 19. Right on. Um, Was your uh, high school career, like, uh, I'm sorry, did you end up taking a break? Like most people traditionally graduate high school around 17 or 18. Mm -hmm. Was that about the same for you? Yeah. And then what did you do um, a few years before you went to college? Were you just working or? I was working part time and I was a regular pioneer. Oh, got it. Got it. And that's the with the church. You're with doing the church, the church yeah. stuff. Cool. Um, now, out of curiosity, <laughs> does that pay? Is that a paying? No, gig? that's just service to the that's church. Service to the church. Yeah. And how does that work? Do they? That's a commitment to the church, and they just kind of assume, like, you might be worried about paying your bills, but they're just like, the Lord will provide, or what? You know what I mean? I guess somewhat, but I mean, at that time, I, too, I was staying at home, yeah. so it wasn't like I really had any major bills right. per se. Um, we used to have these slips and I don't know how they, how they've done, how they do it now, but you would kind of like log your hours Mm -hmm. and then I think we turned it in, but there was like really no follow through, um, for some of the men who, a lot of their goals were to go to New York to the main headquarters and work. And for those who went there to Bethel, they did get like a stipend. And that was only available for the men in the church? Yes. Got it. So males could had kind of a higher goal. And what was mm-hmm. for the females? There wasn't really a higher goal. That was just kind of like, if you hadn't gone to school, would would that have been like for the rest of your life, you'd just be doing the, the pioneer? Yeah, unless, unless you got married to a brother who was kind of on that track. I mean, there were women at Bethel, but most of them were, you know, mates of a Bethelite. Got it. So, uh... Would you say, I know that some tra- a lot of traditional religion um, tends to have some uh, gender inequality, I guess mm-hmm. I'll say. So is the um, Jehovah's Witnesses kind of similar in that? that the, the Similar male? to that, at, and the women aren't going to be at the pulpit, so to speak, given the Sunday sermon right. or the message. Um, spend some the special talk is what they, what they call the it. Talk. Okay. Yeah, I was like, what do they call <laughs> There's it? There's a term for <laughs> it's it. It's been There's so long. <laughs> but, I mean, we women could take part in a theocratic ministry school on Thursdays and give, like, little skits. Okay. Um, so, of course, I had done that, but that's kind of the extent of it, and yeah. I think it's pretty much the same. Okay. So, pretty much, you are uh, you're never going to be number one. You're, never, you're kind of not seen as, as completely equal to the men in the church. Not as far as that yeah. on that role, no. Um, and for you going and doing the the pioneer stuff, like just pretty much you're knocking on the door, just talking to strangers, yeah. Mm-hmm. How did that feel for you? Uh, you don't strike me as like the most <laughs> outgoing person, you know. Was it super? Well, I mean, I I would be lying if I said when I knocked on the door, I wasn't hurt when nobody answered. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think I had like silent prayers going on, like please don't let anybody be here. But because <laughs> you don't want to really have the talk. Yeah, I really didn't want to go into And please, if you did answer the word, please don't ask me a question. <laughs> OK, OK. <laughs> I mean, I did it. And I think I did a lot of things like typical children do for your parents. You do what that is expected. Um, but I think, like I said, once I started getting into like my mid teens, 
when I started really thinking about, you know, what, what I'm learning and what I'm reading. And then I started to kind of question. Mm-hmm. But typically, I, I didn't get baptized until I was 14. There are some who get baptized when they're younger. So at about 14 is when the question came up in my household. And I remember asking a question like, but how, how, how do you know that this is it? I mean, how do we know that there's paradise? And kind of getting this, the answer was basically, why do you even have a question? Don't, you just shouldn't ask. Right. You and I remember thinking like, hmm, okay. Yeah. And, you know, against what I think I, in my head, what I really wanted to do, I did what was expected to do. Mm-hmm. And if I had did what was in my head to do, then probably my life would have been easier in a lot of ways it went as comes to my family. So it was like mid-teens that you were starting to wonder, like, is this church for me? You kind of started to have some doubts. Yes. Yeah. I think that's interesting. That's kind of like, I don't remember exactly what age I was. I remember being probably, I don't know, between 12 and 14-ish, because I think it was when my brother, I remember we, we grew up in a Lutheran church, and mm-hmm. went, we just didn't have a choice. We just, we were, we woke up on Sunday or we got woken up on Sunday and got told like we are leaving for church at 1030 or whatever, you know, and uh, I wasn't sure, you know, about it. But I remember the first doubts came up because my older brother really, really didn't uh, believe, I guess, or didn't feel like church was for him. And I don't know if part of that was because he was a pretty social guy going out late on Saturday (laughs) nights or if he just really felt like not um, religious or not not connected with the Lutheran faith. But I remember that being my first like doubts of like, oh, wait, he's got questions. I, you know, I kind of have questions about it, too. Um, So what was it? Do you was it more just like this blind faith that kind of was the first thing you doubted? Were there other things about the church that you were starting to question at that point? Uh, I think a combination of of that and then coming into the realization about myself as well um, and struggling with my own sexuality at a very young age and not really knowing the term to put to it, but knowing that I think I feel different, but I don't feel comfortable. There's nobody within my family that I think I can talk to about these feelings. And sometimes you just want to have a discussion and I have to associate it with the scripture. And I, that that happened a lot sometimes. And then just kind of being out and about and meeting other people and realizing they're not bad. And, you know, the scripture where we, they get taught it, I think is First Corinthians 15, 33, bad association. And realizing that bad association can sometimes be within the church or within your, you know, everything is not bad. And so what, um, by the way, how, how long ago did you learn that scripture, that verse? That's oh, like embedded like in your brain, it isn't embedded it? embedded at a young age, and, yeah. and that's, I'm sad to say this. I think that's the only one I remember. It's been swinging ar- <laughs> swimming around in your head, though. Um, yeah. So that was one from an early age. Like, what is bad association considered? Just like someone outside the church, kind of? or Pretty much, Not yeah. a believer? I mean, if, I mean, I wasn't going to sleepovers. We didn't go to dances. We didn't go to prom you didn't do anything that was considered extracurricular with other people that weren't Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, did I go to the movies? Did I go to concerts? Yes, but there were other Jehovah's Witnesses. And that was when I was much older. But like school activities where most people are going to a dance on a Saturday or Friday night, never did. And I recall I grew up, uh, the neighborhood I grew up in, uh, there was a family who were Jehovah's Witnesses around the corner from us, and we played in the neighborhood like a little bit. Um, but they were 
they definitely were more sheltered where like some of us would be out and around the neighborhood and play like mm-hmm. their names were summer and brett summer and brett would never come out to play like if we went over to their house you know we might be playing in the backyard they had a trampoline so that was cool so yeah. we would all go bounce on the trampoline uh, but they never really came out to play with us but i remember just being i don't know probably seven eight years old when i met them being like amazed shocked you know as a child this shows how materialistic <laughs> my upbringing was but to be like wait what y'all don't celebrate birthdays or, or right. christmas or you know whatever easter mm-hmm. i guess you know like the typical holidays even i guess a birthday isn't such a religious based but but you know some of the more um traditional christian holidays right so we weren't we didn't have birthday parties parties there were no holidays except the memorial which is the celebration of jesus's death so that's and really the only, the only one. Right. And is that, so that's at Christmas, uh, essentially? Or you, do you guys have a different It's kind of around where Easter date. for like ah. the, yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Um, wait, he, didn't he die? Did he die on Christmas? And then he, he's, he rises he, at Easter. The, yeah, when, the, when he's risen, I'm sorry. I got it, got it, got it. Okay, cool. Um, sorry to those of you who are really good <laughs> church <laughs> Christians out there. And I'm like, I say think I, what? I, shut off a part a huge part of that like once I left like remember nothing yeah when so um at what age did you just like stop going to church like when you moved away from home were you still going to a Jehovah's Witness uh church or did you just stop going when you first moved away from home did you go to church anymore I'm sorry do they call it church or temple or no they call it kingdom hall excuse me (laughs) so the kingdom hall were you going still when you got away from home no I went up until maybe I was 23, between 22 and 24 when, you know, I was at my first job and got a phone call basically asking about my sexuality and not really knowing where it's coming from. Um, so it was one day during the week. So I would say I went to, to the Kingdom Hall on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. and. That was probably that last time. And someone from church called you? No, my mother called. Oh, your mother called mm-hmm. you. So what, there was just a rumor that... To this day, I have no idea. Wow. And I've, I wonder what it was that made her suspect. Um, mm-hmm. She claimed that I had been acting different. I don't think that I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that at that time, I was toiling with it and had, at this point, had been to college and graduated college and... You know, what I think you try to run from or deny, college is where I met a lot of people who were just out, and so I had them within my friend circle. Um, So to this day, I don't know what, like, made her call, um, but she called in tears. So I left work, went home. And what time of day? You're, like, at work, uh, working, like, a Mm 9 to 5? Yeah, it's probably, like... Between one and three. So it was just like a Tuesday afternoon. A Tuesday Mom afternoon. Calls. I'm sitting at my computer at my desk. Yeah. You know, deadline is finished. So I'm probably working on whatever it is, is for the next day. This is you were a journalist at the time? Mm-hmm. Okay. I was working at a newspaper in Greenwood, Mississippi. How and far is that from home? 30 minutes. Okay. Um, Were you still living at home then? Yeah. Okay. Still living at home. Um, and your mom also lived at home, right? Yep. So this is a, cu- a question that might have waited till that night, but she like, she found out or something yeah. made her need to call you mm-hmm. at work to discuss it. Right. So I go home. She's called my dad. She's called my sister. Everybody's at home. And I'm like, you know, I don't, it, it was just one of these surreal times that I've replayed in my head. And like, 
probably wasn't the best day of my life, but in a way, probably it was kind of the worst day of my life and then the beginning of my life, if that makes sense. So I went home and I don't even really remember her saying anything. It was just a bunch of moving, people just kind of going back and forth and my sister came into the room and was like, you know, asking if I was okay. My dad came in and was like, you know, what's going on? I'm like, and I just told him she called me at work and asked me if I was gay. And at that time I didn't answer. Like, you know, I was just like, I, I don't know where she come, where it's coming from. So I just started packing my stuff. And my dad was like, well, you know, why are you packing stuff? I'm like, well, if you're asking me, if she's asking me that, then, you know, like, I can't, I don't feel like at this point I'm not comfortable or I can't, if that's what you think. And in my mind, I already knew that I was. Yeah. Then I can't go to the kingdom hall like I'm not gonna go because that would be hypocritical on my part that's how I thought but at the same time too I think I probably was running from like if you are questioning me then you're gonna be looking at me and I'm no longer gonna be comfortable so as irony would have it my biological father lived about 15 minutes from Winona Mm -hmm. and first I was gonna go stay with a friend that I went to college with um her husband was a truck driver, and she was like, she kind of knew, like, my struggle and everything, and she had said, you can come stay, because he's never home, and, you know, till you get where you need to go, and my mother was like, no, you might, you know, that's not stable, blah, 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 and so this man that I hadn't talked to in years, really, I called him and asked, like, can I come stay with you, and he was like, yeah, Wow. and at the time, one of my cousins was living with him, and his gra- his mother lived, like, my dad's mother lived like within walking distance to his house. Mm-hmm. So he essentially like said, you got to go, go to, go to my mom's house. And that's where I went. So you went and lived with your father. Uh, but prior to that, your, when was the last time you talked to him? Probably had been a, a few years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, he didn't really have a regular role in your life at that time? Not really. I mean, we would periodically talk. Um, but I think as I got older, typically I, I kind of was like, you can call me. Got it. You know, yeah. I, I, I was always going to see you and calling me. I just, it, you it's know, your turn. It's your turn. Yeah. To put forth some effort. So to go back and I guess state the obvious, uh, uh, it within the Jehovah's Witness uh, church or religion, Kingdom Hall, whatever, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not getting all the terms right. Homosexuality was a sin? Yes. Okay. Um, and what is, as far as like, uh, what was the the scripture you you said earlier? First Corinthians fifteen thirty three. And it's like don't don't associate with bad associations. Yeah. Force use for habits. I think something to that effect. Okay, so bad association. So is is homosexuality considered a bad association in the religion? Yeah, and probably much worse. Yeah. Uh, like worse mm-hmm. than a bad yeah. association. I think there's a scripture that they tie to that as well, but I just don't remember it. Okay. And so at this point, you like your mom was calls you crying. Mm-hmm. Um, why she like this, you know, had y'all had a pretty good relationship before then? Yeah, we were really, really, really close. Um, I think going back, she called. I didn't at that time. I did not answer her question. It just, just, I just didn't answer at that time. I mean, to be honest, did it need an answer? The fact that she <laughs> called you, you know, is it like it probably you've didn't. already made up your mind? It, and, no. And, and I think maybe not answering was a yes. Right. <laughs> you know? it, it was. Um, but I do think, too, at that time, I don't think I was ready to yes. to admit it to. Had you said it out loud or had you, like, told anyone before that you were gay? Um, 
I had one friend that I could talk to who was older that that I, I didn't come out and say those words, but I certainly didn't take much to kind of put to that because it was something that I was kind of struggling with because mm-hmm. you grew up being taught that it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it wasn't something that like I felt like I chose. I think from a very young old age, from like five, it's like you I've had those feelings yeah. or I've had those th- I didn't feel or like I wasn't doing like my sister, like when she got old, I wasn't writing what my wedding was going to look like. Like, you know, I was a yeah. typical tomboy, you know, and I just never kind of grew out of it. Right. So for you, uh, you just knew, or, or I guess you kind of had a feeling, an inkling, but you were kind of trying to, what, fight? Or you were just conflicted with those feelings because you knew that in it order went to fit in that box of a right. good Jehovah's Witness, uh, right. that homosexuality does not mm-hmm. <laughs> is not okay for that. Yeah, and then I'm in a small town and... I think I only knew of one or two other people who were like out, like it was obvious. Mm-hmm. But again, people try to pretend that they didn't really exist. Or um, so, who wants to be put in that category? What year did you graduate from high school? Ninety-one. Okay, so we're looking like you growing up through the eighties, mm-hmm. and then by now it's you know early nineties to mid nineties, right? And small town in the south, mm-hmm. so not many people are out of the closet, right? Uh, you know, there's only a few people that are and did you know anyone else in the church who had come out no I mean I knew a lot of people in different congregations around the state of Mississippi because my like I said my father was an elder so he would go and give talks so I knew a lot of people from different congregations there are certainly some people that you kind of suspect and there were one or two that had had issues with it, so had been disfellowshipped for it, then they had repented and came back, um, and then maybe got disfellowshipped again. So yeah, I knew of some cases around. So define, <laughs> tell me what is disfellowship? Is that basically you got, what, kicked out of the church? Yeah, basically, however the elders or if someone tells on you per se, um, typically what happens is that you have a meeting with the body of elders in that kingdom hall. Then, and basically you're kind of getting questioned for and drilled, like what happened, what do you do? All of the details. And I guess if they determine if you are repentant, then you just kind of get reprimanded. What, if you, basically if you say, I'm sorry? or, or I'm you sorry and you, I'm not going to do it again or whatever. I, okay. I, I didn't go through that process. Yeah. Um, but if they deem that you're not repentant or not sorry about it, or you just say, I don't really care or whatever, then you get disfellowship. So if you just tell them, yeah, I'm gay, they'd be like, uh-uh, you're out of here? Unless yeah. you were just like, I'm sorry, it was a mistake, you know, it mm-hmm. was just a college phase or whatever yeah. it is, then they might be cool with it if you are very apologetic. Yeah, and you might or just get you reprimanded. Away, you, go, you could go away and pray the gay away and come back and be like, I'm healed yeah. of this terrible sin. That probably happens some too, wow. but if you're disfellowshipped, you typically what's happened they've met with you and you were not repentant about it, and so at the next meeting they make an announcement. So sister so and so is no longer, you know. So so you get like excommunicated ish. Basically, you know? you're just yeah. Like out of here. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? It means like you aren't going to be coming to to Kingdom Hall anymore. Oh, huh? you can come to the Kingdom Hall. Oh. Nobody's just going to talk to you. What? <laughs> that don't make sense. Right. So, so you just ostracized, like basically hey, she ostracized. Come, but we yeah. pretend like she's not there. Yeah, 
people would people still do that there yeah wow I mean, so they still i guess maybe i mean faith like is that strong i guess that they like still well typically worship? what happens is like let's just say like on tuesday night they would announce that you're not coming typically we might not see that person for a while it may be some weeks it may be a month and then they may start coming back to the meetings those who were kind of like i guess missed or there was a situation with a, a husband and wife and the wife got disfellowship and did the did their marriage last yeah. through it yeah yeah but the husband kept going the husband kept going with the kids um didn't see her for a while then she came back she would come to the meetings nobody you know talked to her and then at some point she was reinstated they called reinstated got it but you didn't get disfellowshipped. You just stopped going. I did. Yeah? I did what's called disassociated myself. Okay. So years later, and I'm in a relationship, um, and as irony would have it, my uh, ex at the time's brother was studying with Jehovah's Witnesses and saw a picture when I was in the dorm room, and was like, "Oh, I know him. He come to our kingdom hall," and then kind of. I don't know how, how it spread because I, I knew so many people from different places mm-hmm. and um, so somebody had saw us on campus or something and he basically called me and was like hey they had people asking me I don't want to lie so I'm gonna give you time to kind of interesting yeah yeah and it's like how churches do they just got kind of the rumor mill at the mm-hmm. church so it's like hey is that yeah yeah so they're all asking so uh, but I want to say Maybe before that, I had I had, I had disassociated myself. Um, Is that I, a formal? So uh, I wrote, what I did was I wrote a letter, ah, I got it. basically saying that I no longer wanted to be a member of the Jehovah's Witnesses. My father had called, and he was like, "I know how you are. I know that you don't want to. You're not a hypocrite, and so you just tell me what you want to do. You can come in and meet with the elders." And I'd had at this time such problems with them for just different going to college just different choices that I made that I was like no not doing that Um, I'll just write a letter and so that's what I did so he was basically like we got to take care of this with the church kind of thing and when he says I know how you are how does that feel to you like that it's not how I am that's not just like I'm not going to eat rice at dinner (laughs) this is like who I am Mm -hmm. you know I, I don't his qu- I don't think his statement wasn't so much of the choice that I had made. He knew that, and he and I were close enough too, where I had known a number of Jehovah's Witnesses, and I knew that they were doing things that were not what was they were supposed to do, and they're still coming through the motions. And he knew how I felt about that. So he knew that it's like, regardless of what I'm doing, I'm not going to come in here and do something halfway. If I don't know, if I no longer believe it, if this is not what I want, then it's no sense to me ha- kind of hanging on. So just morally for you, right. you aren't okay with like going through the motions of feeling like a hi- being a hypocrite pretty right. much of like, if, if these are the rules of the church and I know I'm not living them, then why am I here? Right. Okay. So, um, so how old were you when you wrote the letter or when you like disassociated? Probably in my early twenties, early twenties. And what happens at that point? Your friends that are in the church or your family that's in the church, like... Um, do they, do they all know, or they announce it at church? At, at, I'm sorry, at Kingdom Hall, they announce it. Yeah, they, what they, yeah, they announce it. So once they announce it, then you just kind of know that this is a person that if you see out at Walmart or on this 
at the gas station, how typically you'd be like, oh, hey, how you doing? You just act like you don't see that person. There's no, the communication stops. So you you become invisible. They tell they share it with the Kingdom Hall, and pretty much everybody's supposed to ignore you now. Yeah, including your your, your family, immediate family. But that was not the case. Okay, so even though they said it, like your family didn't didn't kind of just no immediately stop talking to you. Mm-mm. Got it. it. Which is what probably should have been, and then. Should have been is a tough way to say it. <laughs> right. And if and they you know, were it kind of depends. The or their true, right. The Jehovah's Witness rules, I guess. Right. Um, so for you, what was that like to be, you know, 22 and then suddenly pretty much not just your like family by blood, but your extended family, your community is pretty much gone now? And are you still living in Mississippi at this point? I'm still in Mississippi, but I'm, at, I'm in Starkville. Okay. And how, um, many, how far away is Starkville? Like an hour and a little over an hour. Okay. So you got some distance at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're in Starkville and you're like no longer a part of the church at right. or the kingdom hall. But I'm still going home on the weekends. You like are. we're like my family at this time didn't like cut me out. So we're still, I'm still talking to my mom every day. I'm still talking to my sister and then I'm going home got like it. on the weekends to visit sometimes. But at this point, what have you decided as far as, like, your future? Had anything, you know, had you made any decisions as far as once I'm done with school here in Starkville, am I going to go back and live in that small town? Or were you pretty oh, much, no. like, deciding, I mean, I I'm knew, moving on? Yeah. I knew that I was moving on. Okay. So what happened? So you finished school in Starkville. Mm-hmm. Um, and then where did you go? I ended up living in Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a job at a newspaper in Kissimmee, Florida. So I went there for about a year mm-hmm. and then realized I don't think I like living here. The hurricanes, I, it's mm-hmm. not for me. But I didn't want to. Plus, I don't, man, uh, let's talk. Kissimmee is, <laughs> uh, I don't even know if we can call it a suburb of Orlando. It's like, what, maybe an hour south? Is it an hour? It wasn't quite an hour. It's, it's not quite an hour, Mm-mm. but it's its own. It's its own community. It's pretty, it's pretty rural. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if Florida, if you've never been, <laughs> has its own special. I'm from there, so I can speak of it this <laughs> way. Um, it's got its own special flavor of folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but was there a very large, uh, were there many other people of color that lived in Kissimmee? Not a whole lot. I did meet some, but mm-hmm. it was, you know, more, I think, Latin influenced. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so a nice little mix, but not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I lived in Orlando, so I kind of just oh. drove to Kissimmee for work. But how was Orlando? Did you like that a little better? Yeah, it was it was better. But uh, you still decided you were like, I don't know, Central Florida is not really for me. Yeah, that, and then uh, it was a breakup, and then I forget what hurricane came through that year, and I was like, Mm-mm. I ain't doing this. I, I did can't they, do did this. It hit Orlando pretty good, or at least you got. Uh, Ton of storms. Pretty good. It was more of the storms. It hit. It really hit Kissimmee so much so that all we did for a while was cover like storm damage. Wow. And I kind of got tired of that. But that was I, the only news. <laughs> yeah. It was the only news. Yeah. And then I was like, I really don't think I just want to. Li- I don't want to live here. Like I really didn't know anybody else there. Mm-hmm. Um. But I had friends from Mississippi State who were here. And one of my best friends was finishing up his degree. His and he was in Memphis, mm-hmm. and he was kind of wanting to get away. We had kind of simpler, similar upbringings, um, 
And so I said, you know, I called him up. I'm like, let's, let's move to Atlanta. And he was kind of torn at the time, and then something didn't work out on his end. He was like, okay, I'm down. And so I contacted my two friends here, and they were like, we got you until you find somewhere to stay. Oh, and cool. so it kind of all worked out. And what year was that? Probably 2007, 2008. Okay. So we're looking at about 10, 11 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was your first job? Did you end up, you just decided to move to Atlanta? Did you even have a job yet? I didn't even have like, a job. I'll figure it out when I get I'll there. I'll figure it out when I get yeah. there. I had some savings. Um, so my first job was in the child care center at a LA Fitness. <laughs> All right. Because <laughs> at this point, like, I think, I felt like I needed a writing break. Got it. And I'd all, I, when I was deciding between what I want to study in college, I was torn between education and writing. Okay. So you were kind of figuring it out. So, mm-hmm. so childcare wasn't quite education, but um, did you just always have kind of a fondness for kids? Were you always good with? I was kids? always good with little kids. Cool. Kids. So how long did you work in that job? I think I was there for about a year or two, and then Lifetime Fitness was being built. Mm-hmm. And the guy who hired me there was going over to head up an area of lifetime fitness and so he invited a couple of us to kind of go with him got it and so i went there and you worked the lifetime fitness for a bit this is a place i think you told me you'd have some members that would kind of take advantage of the of the day of the uh, child yes. care because mm-hmm. it's supposed to be you could drop your kid off while you go and work while out. you go work out or <laughs> go in a cafe or go to the pool or but whatever you're supposed to stay on the premises yes. and you, you said there was a lot of folks that did what uh, we believe they left the premise <laughs> premises so they were like, I got errands to run, mm-hmm. or I'm just fed up with my child yeah. today. I'm going to go pretend like I'm about to work out and then leave right. and do whatever. <laughs> That's crazy. Good good for y'all. Good for you, parents, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Um, so from there, how did you, what was the transition when you became an educator or decided you wanted to become a um, teacher? Just, I think I just got to, I had made my way up to be a supervisor in the child care center there. And, but I was always kind of checking in on the different schools' websites. And there was an opening for a para position mm-hmm. for special needs, and I'd always had an interest in working with special needs. So I applied and I got called. And, and what's the, uh, for people who don't know, para, that's almost like an assistant It's teaching? a teacher assistant. Okay, got it, got it. Um, so that was with, where, with like DeKalb County? Yeah. Um, and so you went, applied for that, and... And you got the gig? I got it. Cool. And did that for up until 2013, 2014. And then I finally followed some of my principal's advices who said, you know, you should be a teacher. You're doing it anyway. And I'd kind of been like, no, I don't want to do it. And then finally I just was like, you know what, I guess they're right. I'm doing it anyway, and I might as well get get paid for it and can kind of have more of an impact or – more of an opportunity besides just being a teacher assistant. And what was were their requirements? Even though you had a couple of degrees, did mm-hmm. you have to get any kind of special certification? To yeah, I did teacher? the teacher alternative route, so I went through the, the county's TAP program okay. for two years. And so then you became a teacher. How long you, have you been a teacher now? This is my fourth or fifth year. And what attracted you to like the special education track? I just I think I just always kind of liked working with kids in general, but then kids who have special needs is just a whole different kind of feel to it. And I think sometimes you still have some stigma attached to it, and they're just, at the end of the day, they're all kids. Um, and I just wanted to have an impact 
in that way of just, I think everybody has some ability and I just wanted to be that kind of teacher that despite how you come into the door, motivating all my students. That's cool. Is there anyone in your past, like, is there a teacher that stands out to you from your own education that, like, you think really influenced you or made you, you know, want to become an educator based on them? Or was it more just like you growing up realizing, like, I could do this or maybe I could do this better? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had some teachers at my elementary school who kind of encouraged me along the way, but I think it was more so a teacher that I never met. And I watched the movie um, based on Marva Collins that Cicely Tyson played in. Mm-hmm. And she started the Chicago Preparatory School. Mm-hmm. And so basically she started this school because at the time there were a lot of African-American students in the school system there who were kind of being overlooked or being labeled for special ed, a label that they couldn't learn. And so just based on that and seeing her work with students who were not given an opportunity in the public school system, a lot of those kids who may have been on a track of not going to college or just not being turning out good for society as it was, she turned those kids around, test scores improved just in her approach. And so I liked her mindset of that every child is teachable. You just have to reach every child. So she inspired me at a young at, at that age, and I always kind of had her in the back of my head. What do you think about... Um, you and you probably know more about this than I do, but I've like you know read some different stuff and seen. And as I look at just like the way when I coach people, there are so many different learning styles, and people are different. You know, learn in different ways. So, how do you feel? You know that our current education system is either are are we just totally missing um, the boat on like certain styles of learning? You know what I mean? Like there are some people that learning in a, whatever, I guess in a classroom or sitting still and mm-hmm. being lectured at or, you know, h- h- what are your feelings about that? Yeah, I think there are a lot of things that kind of being missed. There's so many different learning styles. Students have so many different and varying needs and experiences in just in general. Um, and I think sometimes it's just kind of being single focused and that is whether it's just preparing kids for a test, but not really taking a holistic approach and actually getting to know our students and being empathetic to some of their experiences. Um, and then as an educator and just being as an adult, taking maybe our, some of our own blinders off or our own prejudice, as you will, off and just seeing our kids as kids who have different experiences and different styles. And it's a process to learn what works for each child and sometimes that can be difficult to give each individual child their own kind of assessing them as it will if you're in a class of 20 or 30 kids and then you have some who may need a little bit more attention it's kind of hard to kind of balance it out but then go on an extra step to try to figure it out too. So you feel like like too often the teaching what the goals of the maybe the whole school year are, are too, fo- too focused on just passing these or Im- improving these standardized test scores and not as much concerned on like, does this child actually learn anything? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. what, uh, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, I, I was going to say that. I think it's, I mean, I've certainly had some students within my career where it, I'm more structured and I just work a certain way. And so for me, I had to, I had to learn that maybe 
what in my mind looks like disorder, this child is still learning. So you don't have to just stay in your seat. If you work better standing and just kind of thinking outside the box and allowing myself to be outside the box and be okay with a student who may be over here just kind of doodling or whatever and they're still taking it in once you. So just kind of being open to whatever works is okay. And what's your, what would you say is your most uh, rewarding experience as, a, as an educator? I've had two, I think, students that kind of stood out. And they may not have performed academically the strongest, but they came into the class probably with the lowest self-esteem. And just their ability and what they thought they were capable of doing was just so low. And so spending that time to kind of build their confidence and just speaking like whatever they did accomplish and even if they didn't fa- even if they did fail like that's okay because that's what life is all about we're going to try next time next time we're going to do better you know just and seeing from the beginning of the year in august to the end of the year to see them independently raising their hand to see them just speaking out and being comfortable and okay with it was probably my most successful thing just to kind of see them blossom when, like, at the beginning of the year, they would never speak up in class. No. By the end, they are. Yeah, I mean, just the way they, this one particular student, even the way she carried herself was just so inward. And I think I kind of identified to those type of students because I was so shy and just was like, if the teacher didn't notice me, I was kind of okay with that. But at the same time, I think I was okay with it because that's where I was comfortable. But then in the back of the situation, in the back of my mind, I kind of always wanted to be noticed, too. And so I think that's the kind of teacher I am, too, is where... Where I was uncomfortable, I put my students in that situation because you need to be uncomfortable to kind of come out of yourself. So what do you think is the, I don't know, is there like a magic to, or is there, um, is it, does it just take some like, do you just follow your instincts on like the difference, what's the difference, or how do you make an uncomfortable situation like to help with growth, mm-hmm. but also like not cross the line as far as losing the student's trust, you know, or like, not you know making it no longer a safe space or you know just like really kind of losing them i do what's considered co-teaching so there's i'm the special ed teacher in the room and then there's a regular ed teacher and unfortunately enough i've had to i've had some great partners along the way so basically if there was a question coming up i would always kind of like look at the teacher or, or a lot of times they were in tune with me so they're hearing my conversations so I'll be talking to the students, like, come on, you got the answer for this one. You're going to answer this. And they'd be like, no, no. I'm like, yeah, you got the answer. You got the answer. And then either I would give a look or they would just hear me. And so they would just kind of like ask the question, then just call on that student. And so maybe I'm over there talking about, you got it. We already went over it. You got it. You know it. And then they would say it. So a lot of times it was kind of like that. We kind of worked together to arrange and kind of prepare the student for the question. So this, that like kind of partner teaching approach that yeah. helps. All right. That's cool. And what are you, what grades have you taught, I guess, since you've been a teacher? Um, Ceph contains special ed, so that's a class where those students stay in that classroom. Three, three, four, and five-year-olds. And then first, every grade except second grade. Got it, got it. That's easier. What haven't you taught, I guess? Uh, And so I asked most rewarding. So what's your most frustrating experience or what has been? Or maybe there's an ongoing frustration just as as an educator? I think I'd have to say out of touch administrators. At the like local, like just within your school level or do you mean just like the higher ups as well? I would say most directly within the school 
individual schools, but then sometimes higher up because they're the ones who are making decisions that affect the schools. But then as teachers, we have to kind of follow through and we know that this probably isn't the best or students aren't ready for it. And so that can be frustrating. If what, let's say you wake up tomorrow morning, we'll, we'll wait till Monday. You wake up Monday morning <laughs> and you get a phone call and they're like, Ms. Bennett, you are now the, what is it, the superintendent? Who's the like boss of the schools? Superintendent. County? Okay, you're the new superintendent of DeKalb County Schools. Um, what's the like, what would be your primary or like your first focus? What's the first thing that needs to get done, you think? I think we need to go back to the drawing board, board and focus on the basics. But then I think we also need to do a better job of adding value to education and value to teachers. And then once you value your teachers, then I think that carries over to the classroom. You feel like a lot of teachers at this point are just feel, don't feel valued or experience burnout and stuff like that? Combination of the two. Um, the value, burnout, expectations have increased, but then what teachers receive, um, there's no shortage if you look on the news of just kind of how, t how teachers are treated, by, especially in the upper grades, just by, you know, getting beat by students. Yeah. So the lack of respect, I think if you look back years ago when we were in school, if something happened and they called your, your parents, your parents didn't come question the teacher. Oh, yeah. They just took the word of the teacher. Right. Now, it's not so that it's not the case so much. I think there's a lot, a lot of parents that instead are just like, nah, my kid wouldn't do that. And right. Interesting. Interesting. So um, we're going to, we are, I know I said we're going <laughs> to talk a little bit about strength, too. Um, let me, I guess I'll just um, wrap up um, kind of like the education okay. discussion by just saying, you know, one final question. There's a musical artist that I know that we both um, have appreciate, a, a mutual appreciation for. Would you say, um, if there's a musical lyric that has to uh, define or like uh, describe your teaching style or like the goal <laughs> of the educational system, would you say uh, maybe like Whitney Houston said it best when she said, uh, oh man, now I just lost the lyric. Um, <laughs> I just, it's from, uh, it's from the greatest love of all. The children are the future? Yes, uh, there it is. <laughs> I believe the children are the future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Mm -hmm. Show them all the beauty they possess inside, right? <laughs> there we go. All I was thinking of was, uh, I decided long ago <laughs> I was starting to remember the wrong lyric. So, anywho, uh, is there another? Would you? Is there a different lyric you'd say is better, or is that really kind of? Is that your your goal? Is really just like uh, connecting with each child, kind of showing? Yeah, them? I think that's 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 a good one. Uh, all right, so we can move on. There's, don't worry, I got a special question for you later. We'll come back to Whitney. <laughs> don't you worry about that. Um, so you, uh, as I, I think I mentioned earlier. Uh, you've been training now with me and on like Team Liz Smash now for a little over two years. Um, both we met through EAV Barbell, right. um, a gym I formerly owned, but we've mostly trained. We're sitting right here in the garage gym, I guess is the yeah. location we've met most. Um, and so strength training, uh, powerlifting kind of stuff is what we do. But I, w I would be curious, like for you, just thinking back, you know, what's your earliest memory of 
either like being feeling strong or wanting to be stronger, you know, even as a child or a teenager or mm-hmm. um, going way back or, or, or even just seeing someone you thought was strong and like wanted to be more like them. What, what's your earliest memory? Probably like early teens. Yeah, because I think when I was in middle school, I was much, much thinner, but my muscles were more defined too. But I didn't really work out a whole lot. Um, but I saw Linda Murray, about the bodybuilder, and was just so intrigued by her body and the, the definition of the muscles. And that, that was kind of like this end result. Like, that's, that's really what I want to look like or be. Like, I wanted to be strong and to look physically strong. So I started working out at a gym with my dad, and it was... I guess the local bodybuilding gym because the guy who owned it was a bodybuilder, but there were really no women who worked out in it. Cause I mean, it was like really like a little like grunge yeah. bar with free weights and everything. Yeah. And I would go there with him and there was a guy that my, that I kind of grew up with. He was a little bit older and he was into bodybuilding. So I would go and a lot of times he would just kind of end up like, come over here, get on the leg press and just keep adding weight. And so that I think is when I was able to kind of keep up or have, you know, at this young age, kind of guys paying attention to what I was able to do. And was it this kind of gym? Was Were there a lot of free weights? Was it more just like machines and stuff? It was, it was a lot of free everything? weights, yeah. barbells and different stuff. It was it just like out of some kind of warehouse or what was it? like? It was more like a storefront downtown. Okay. Um, and it's basically probably what he bought from his own garage home and yeah. it just kind of assembled kinda and built yeah equipment hodgepodge it wasn't a together. boutique style so i guess that's probably why <laughs> <not>. <laughs> it too fancy, no see i mean i don't know back back in the was this like the 90s or 80s yeah, early 90s? 90s probably yeah so i don't know that there were too many fancy fancy boutique type <laughs> gyms yet in that those yeah. days anyway yeah. uh and then were you uh as far as like your journey from there did you continue lifting weights throughout um your life? Did you kind of drift away it, from it? Did you? I kind of drifted um, right when I kind of was, I guess, building momentum and was getting a little bit bigger. My mother, you know, was like making comments like, you need to stop. You don't need to do all that. Your neck, your neck's getting big, you know. And I was like, how? You know, no. And then I don't even know really what happened, but just kind of gradually, we just didn't go anymore. Um, so it probably was a few years when I kind of started back working out when I went to LA Fitness, yeah. working there, you know, you have the free um, membership and lifetime fitness. And then I would kind of do a little stuff, stuff there. And then when you reached out to me a few years ago, I think you'd been maybe doing like boot camp or you'd done yeah. a little bit of lifting with mm-hmm. another at another gym. Right. Uh, and I think your question was like, hey, I'm in my early 40s. <laughs> like, is that too late to start right. powerlifting? And uh, I was like, no, I think I might have said, hell no. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, I guess the, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> I remember us, you know, getting together, and that was like summertime-ish. Yeah, um, I think it was like July. Yeah, and then we helped, we worked together to prepare you for your first competition, which was that December. Right. Um, and that was where I mentioned the nickname <laughs> earlier. We have let it go. We've let it go, y'all, but we got to still <laughs> tell her origin story of Sandbag Sway. Uh, this, <laughs> uh, this athlete, when we were working on her squats, well, there was some doubt on her depth and then occasionally she would do this double bounce <laughs> at the bottom of the squat which yep. is uh basically gets dq'd that's that's a no lift if you do this double bounce or if there's any up and down motion when you start ascending with the barbell 
you got to stand it all the way up. Mm -hmm. So by the time we get to competition day, Sway has been so worried about squats. <laughs> it was my least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> she like hates the squats. I think you even said to me, like, I just want squats to be over. Yeah. So, so she goes out there and we've, We've practiced the week before, like practiced her openers, and we got you down to good squat depth, and we think it's going to be good. So, uh, you know, we've practiced the commands. We, like, got her prepared for meet day. <laughs> well, the first attempt on in powerlifting is supposed to be something that's, like, your last warm-up. You know, it's, like, gets you in the meet, you know? And right. Especially for Sway or for anybody else who's stepping on the platform for the first time. Like, lots of stuff could go wrong. You got a lot of nerves with judges or lifting on the platform yeah. for the first time. So we said, you know, we're going to choose something pretty light. Um, you know, it, it's like, you know, tough-ish, but it's something like Sway could get without a doubt. Um, so she goes out there and, you know, she unracks the bar. You got to wait till the referee says squat. And then <laughs> I don't even know how to describe what I saw. <laughs> it was like a lightning bolt of a squat. It was Suede just like dropped down so fast, stood back up before the look on the judge's face and most of the spotters' faces was just priceless. And Sway was just like getting at, like doing work. Like she was just like, I'm just trying to get on the board and trying to get myself a squat. <laughs> she squatted so fast. Uh, like the, the judges were all in shock. I mean, they gave white lights, but I'm pretty sure some of them weren't even sure if they'd seen her squat. <laughs> So the squat was good, but it was still to this day, it's the fastest squat I think I've ever seen on a platform at a meet. Um, so she made the lift. So it's like, and then immediately one of the refs comments to me like, Liz, you better put some weight on the bar. So I make a, you know, pretty good jump for her. And already, I think the, f the second attempt was like going to be a new PR for Sway anyway. So she goes out there for her, her next attempt. It comes up, it's her turn. And the referees are all like getting ready. <laughs> And I hear one of the spotters. one of the spotters says to the other guy, he like whispers across the platform, "Get ready!" So they're like <laughs> preparing because they're like, "This is that girl who squatted so fast last time." So what happens? And I've told Sway, I'm like, "Hey, try to slow it down just a little bit because once we get some weight on the bar that will slow you down, that's gonna like pancake you at yeah. the bottom. So you gotta slow it down." So what does she do? She takes like, I mean maybe a millisecond of speed you know it's still super duper fast <laughs> crushes it again bam she got it so like what's going through your head at, the, at this time i was trying to remember to slow down but i think it was a combination of nerves too and <laughs> i kind of wanted to just get it over with too but yeah. <laughs> i tried to slow it down anyway she ended up having having a great meet and hit some prs and it was a good time but uh uh, from that point on, we you competed in that meet, and then I believe your next one was that like June. And yeah. You did a deadlift and bench press only, mm -hmm. like a push and pull. Um, and there, we I think we came a little closer to like slowing you down, like yeah. starting to find some limits. Um, and you did another meet. I'm trying to think. I'm trying back. to think of which one that was. Um, was after you did the meet in. Uh, in December, you did that was powerlifting for pink. Did you do the right. state meet right after, or did yeah, you? Yeah, I, I okay. did state meet so too. You did two full power and mm -hmm. then you did push and pull. So yeah, the state meet yet again. That was the other one, the second one that people were like, Liz, you need to start putting some weight on the bar for this girl. And uh, Tay, one of the women who works with USAPL, joked with me. She was like, Who? Why are y'all sandbagging? I'm gonna start calling your team the sandbaggers, Liz. And it was just a concept. I mean, the, I think that some lifters 
get very nervous on meet day, which I know, I think you do yeah. get nervous, but some people step up and are just like performers on competition day and others don't do as well. And they're more like in, in training they're They are a little better. Yeah. Maybe the nerves get to them too much uh, to perform really well. And you were one of those athletes that on competition day, you just thrived. So we started joking that in, in the training, maybe you were sandbagging or you were uh, holding out <laughs> on us a little bit. So, uh, we let you pass the name along. Mm-hmm. Sway helped uh, handle. Uh, we were coaching at a meet a few months ago, and um, she helped me handle a few lifters because um, I coach kind of on meet day, coach some lifters, and it turned out we had five lifters, and my comfort level is is probably handling, I guess, three or four lifters in a day. And so once I got up to five, I said, okay, Sway, would you help us? You know, would you help me with a uh, – kind of share the responsibility. So she was an assistant coach. So she went from being sandbag sway to now like <laughs> coach sway. Um, and it just so happened one of the lifters there, um, <laughs> she had a, a, another, a pretty spectacular day. And mm-hmm. it, it was si- very similar to Consuela in that uh, Kirsten, who lives in Cali now, hey girl, we miss you. <laughs> um, but Kirsten had never quite tested her limits. And it was yeah. one of those where it's like, all three of her bench presses were just like easy. We probably could put at least another five, maybe 10 pounds on the bar for right. the bench. Um, I would say, I think her deadlift was a good grind. Her like third deadlift yeah, was, it was a good fight. Uh-huh. Um, but just about everything else was like, mm, we could have gone a little heavier, a little heavier. So anyway, the, uh, the nickname, I think you were glad to pass it along. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now what is your next uh, goal as far as, I don't know, do you have any coaching aspirations, competing aspirations, just as far as strength goes? What are you looking forward to next? I still want to kind of see exactly how far I can actually go. Um, I still want to compete, but it seems like just getting a consistent workout regimen going, like with my schedule and just, I think just kind of get out of my head too. Like there's some days where I'm like, I'm just not going to do it. Or I have the best of intentions of working out. It's just kind of getting to just going past that and still going to work out is what I'm working on now. For sure. For sure. But yeah, I like the coaching too. I like kind of doing the meet days and kind of helping you out with that as well. Cool. Well, we have, uh, there's a group of us, uh, myself and Sway Mm -hmm. and uh, two of the other members of the team who uh, all four of us, all all four are females um, looking at, Maybe potentially I'll try to make a run at, at competing um, nec- next summer, this summer, next summer, whatever. The next <laughs> summer that we get to, however you use those terms, uh, we'll call it in like eight months, nine months from now. Uh, USPA Nationals are in Las Vegas. Yeah. So um, we're planning to all be there, uh, right. hopefully as competitors. <laughs> um, the other two members of the team have already qualified, so Consuela and I would each have to compete um, in right. the USPA meet, which we're both looking at for March. Yeah. Right. So um, that is that is that. I appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you for having um, me. Best wishes on your training, and we'll definitely have you back Um if anyone has further questions, I know we got <laughs> deep in not just to strength, but we talked a little bit of religion and education, yep. kind of heavy stuff. So if y'all have addif- additional questions, I think uh, Sway definitely has some really uh, unique insights. And it's been uh, really cool for me, I guess, just being in the city of Atlanta. Um, what a melting pot this city is for, I feel like, people from all over the South, but really all over the country, right. all over the world. Yeah. Um, but I've just made, I've made so many connections, especially with, um, 
people who it seems like came from towns kind of similar to mine, kind of similar backgrounds, maybe grew up in kind of a conservative home and then began to form our own opinions and, right. and realize that maybe our hometown is not w what's the best place <laughs> for us to thrive and exactly. grow. So um, thank you, Sway, for sharing with us today. Thanks for all of the times you, sh you share good talks with me here in the garage. We've talked through um, a lot of stuff, a lot of different family stuff, personal yep. stuff, strength stuff, all of it. So uh, I really value you as an athlete on the team and as a, a new, you know, kind of assistant coach helping me out and, and as a friend too. So same here. Um, I also just kind of want to remind everybody out there, like even if you're not really training with a barbell regularly, um, I think hopefully you can relate or at least um, realize that Sway wasn't necessarily like – doing regular strength training while you were growing up but there no. were certainly a, a lot of battles that you fought through and a lot of strength <laughs> it wasn't just under a barbell but it right. was a lot of strength and resilience that you showed and uh i'm glad you made your way to atlanta and i'm glad that Me our too. paths have crossed I, so i feel the same way yeah thanks way so uh we are gonna wrap it up that's episode three uh next week i have not even made the ask yet for who my guest is gonna be but I have it in. I have her in mind. So, um, probably another female powerlifter on the show next week. If you like the show, please uh, follow us, subscribe to it on SoundCloud. Uh, if you are an Apple user, on the iTunes podcast app, uh, and also on Spotify, we really appreciate it. And uh, if you have additional questions, I'm gonna share this and post it on Instagram. Add any more questions in the comments, and I'll be sure to follow up with Sway or we'll bring her back next month and uh, get some more questions for her. So y'all have a great week or weekend. We're, we're recording this on the weekend, but it will be <laughs> live on the week. So whatever day it is, you just have a good one of those. All right? And bye-bye. Sway, say bye-bye. Bye. Bye now. <laughs>